So uh, about two or three years ago, we started giving our children allowance. Now, some parents would say this is a bad idea. Um, but w- what we wanted to do is we wanted to try to give them money that's their own so that they could learn how to manage their money, right? And we put restrictions on that. So they get a certain amount of money every single week, and they, have to, they can spend some, they have to save some, and they have to give some away. And it's just this idea that no matter... Uh, where you're at in your life, even if you're five, six, seven years old, you can spend some, <laughs> you need to save some, and you need to be generous with what you have. Uh, well, it was kind of a disaster, and it wasn't a disaster because of them. It was a disaster because I always forgot to give them their allowance. And then at one point, I made a Google Doc, and I lost track after a few weeks. So I owed them a lot of money right at one point. And uh, so it was just like a kind of a figurative thing. Like, yeah, this is possible that you have this much money. Uh, you know, you don't actually have it, but it's there in theory, right? So then we found this app called Greenlight before Christmas this last year. And it costs a couple dollars a month, which is a bummer, but, you know, it's a great service. And essentially what it does is it takes money out of your account every single week and automatically gives it to your kids or whoever you want it to. And so they, get, so they can look on this app and they can see, I have this much money in my savings, this, I have this much money to spend, I have this much money to give. It's a pretty neat app. Well, come to find out, there's also a button on the app where you can request money. <laughs> and so for the first month, Sarah and I would wake up every day with a request for $10,000, or I think the highest you can request is $100,000. And uh, their hope was maybe there'd be a slip of the thumb and imaginary $100,000 would come into their, that that I don't have and they certainly aren't going to get. But they uh, very quickly became very obsessed with how much money was in their account. And even at a young age, it's just this idea like money buys you things, right? It gives you power, right? I think that's why we, why why money is so powerful. I think it's, it's because it gives us Power. It gives us the ability to do what we want to do, to, uh, to go where we want to go, to buy what we want to buy. And there is power in that. There is freedom in that, right? I remember some of the wealthiest friends that I, that I have, uh, they freaked out during the pandemic, like literally freaked out. And uh, the reason that they had such a hard time with it is that for the first time in their lives, their money essentially couldn't allow them to do whatever they wanted to do. Does that make sense? Like they couldn't leave their house. They couldn't go to this restaurant. They couldn't uh, essentially uh, go and travel and go wherever they wanted to go. They had to abide by these standards and these rules. And no matter how much money you had, in theory, you're supposed to abide by them, right? And so it caused them all sorts of frustrations and anger and all sorts of other things. And I think that that's a response, right? Money gives you the ability to do whatever you want in your life, to make your life easier in some ways, to allow you to kind of do and, and be whatever type of person that you want to be. So there's power. It's also, it's a, it's a, a fear response, right? A fear that you're not going to have enough. So money is a way in which, in some ways, it can take away anxiety. It can take away worry that you're not going to be kicked out of your apartment the next month, that you're not going to end up on the street, that you're not going to, that you're going to be able to feed your family or feed yourself. And so there's a lot that has to do with money. And Jesus spends an incredible amount of time talking about wealth. 
I've always have found this so fascinating, probably beyond like the kingdom of God itself. Jesus talks about money more than anything else in the Gospel of Luke, or Luke puts that forward. And I always thought that so strange because Luke is writing to mainly poor people. <laughs> He's writing to mainly people that have very little. Imagine how much time Jesus might spend talking to us about money, right? People that have what we need and most of our things, uh, our essentials taken care of. I, I would guess that Jesus would spend even more time talking about money and wealth in a country, the wealthiest country in the history of the world, in America. So he tells this parable. And again, we're going to work through this parable and I get to a, a more clear explanations of what I think Jesus is getting at here. But basically what's happened is there's a very wealthy man. And this wealthy man has entrusted some of his finances or a lot of his finances to a money manager. Maybe he was a bill collector. Maybe he uh, you know, just was kind of his guy, right-hand man that helped him manage all of the money that he had. And this manager had been doing a really bad job. It doesn't explain what he has done, but he's done something wrong. Maybe he was... Um, you know, taking money off the top, right? And he heard that he had been stealing money from him. Uh, maybe he had been charging interest to people. And in that time period, it was actually was against the law to lend money and charge interest to people and collect on that. That was a, a, and so people got around that and did that anyways. But I think most likely what was happening is he was charging a commission on top of the, 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 the note, the lending, and maybe some interest that he would, that he would get, does that make sense? So he'd say, okay, here's $1,000. Uh, I need $1,200 in uh, six months. And, and then he would keep 150 of those dollars. And he would do this with many accounts. And so the, the, uh, the masters, as described in the passage, essentially finds out what's going on and says, I'm going to audit you, right? Like the work that you've been doing. Uh, which means I'm just going to tear apart your life and find any way that you've done something wrong, and you're going to be fired at the end of this, okay? Like, that's it. So you can imagine that this manager begins to freak out, right? This is not like Chicago where uh, you lose one job and there's another job of managing someone else's wealthy money uh, available to you. Most likely, in fact, and, and I know this is just a parable that Jesus is telling, but you, if he's thinking of this in his context, uh, this guy's livelihood in a very small town of maybe 30 to 100 people is probably gone. And even if he was in the city, the, the, the news would travel fast, right? That this guy was a scoundrel, that he ripped people off. So he's faced with a couple options if he doesn't have this job. One is he becomes a day laborer. And I don't know if you've been to uh, places where that's the case, but you kind of stand on the side of the road and you hope and pray that someone hires you for that day. And the guy says, I'm not strong enough to do that. So I don't want to be a day laborer. I was telling uh, Jimmy before the service, I did like five hours of lawn care this week and I could hardly walk. I was like, I can relate, buddy. You know, like if it doesn't work, you know, it's like I'm not going to the day laborer. I don't think I'd make it longer than a week. And he also says, my other option is uh, I can beg for money and I have too much pride to do that or I, I'm going to be, uh, that's just too much for me after the position that I held uh, where I was wealthy and powerful and I just can't handle the idea of depending on other people in that way. So he comes up with a plan. And his plan is essentially to cut out all of the interest or all of the commission that he had taken on these deals and so that the debtors 
would be so thankful and so happy with him that they would essentially like him and invite them into his home and maybe give him a job or you know whatever else. And he wouldn't have to do these jobs that he didn't want to do. He wouldn't have to beg for money. And so he goes uh, and he, he cuts these deals. And, they, and there's a couple examples given. The first bill involves 100, uh, it says 800 or 900 gallons of olive oil. And this would be like hundreds of baths. Like if you think about like what they, they, they would use this for. The oil would have cost 1,000 denarii, which is about three years' salary for an average person. So this is a big deal, right? Now, the guy that, that owes this amount of money certainly wasn't a day laborer or wasn't a normal person. They, they likely had a lot of wealth. But still, you can think three years of income for a normal person, that's what this deal meant. So you're getting it cut significantly in the way that this one that this manager does was a huge blessing and one that would garner a whole lot of love and care. Reduces the debt in half. So they were excited. They would take that in a second. And then the second one is similar. It's an example of these 1,000 bushels of wheat. Uh, this would represent about 100 acres of land. So this is a huge deal, costing between 2,500 and 3,000 denarii. And this would be about eight to nine and a half years of an average person's wage. So this is an even bigger deal. He, taught, he takes off 20% off the top. And so then it comes to verse eight and, and, and you expect the master, maybe, I don't know what you were, we were expecting, but Jesus tells essentially the master commends the dishonest manager in verse eight because he had acted shrewdly. He acted shrewdly. That's the first part of verse eight. There's kind of a couple different ways in which, like, why was the master happy with what he had done? And there's lots of debates. And, and, and one commentary I read, there were seven different options. I'm like, okay, just like kind of point, right? And just like this, that one sounds good today, right? Um, that's tough when you have seven different opinions uh, historically on what's happening here. I, I narrowed them down to two. And they're kind of tried to make them general, and then I'm going to tell you which one I think it is. It says, I, I think if we're going with what I've shared so far, uh, one of the options is the manager was dishonest in reducing the bills of the master's creditors, but was thinking ahead. And so Jesus commends his crafty, forward-looking use of resources. So even though he was doing something that wasn't really right or good, or, and it was essentially dishonest, he still is saying, well, at least he was shrewd, at least he did something to get my money back and... I give him credit for thinking ahead and kind of getting these debtors to embrace him as a person to maybe give him a job. That was smart. The second option is just similar. Obviously, it's not like completely different, but the manager maybe uh, had been dishonest earlier, but the master now, after reducing the bills, cutting out his commission, which I think he was taking, uh, left it behind with hope of goodwill from the debtors later. Uh, I think that Jesus commends him for his creative use at foresight that provides for his care later. And the, the master's probably very happy with essentially what this person did in order to get his money back and make up for his mistakes in the past. He still may have been fired. We don't really know what takes place here, but at least he has done something to look out for himself. And that's recommend, or that was uh, applauded by Jesus. He's commending the manager for, getting, for his wisdom and getting the good graces of all these debtors and providing for himself. So I think that that second one is the option that he cut himself out of the deal and therefore provided for him, stopped doing what he had been doing before, 
and um, got back in the good graces of least of those debtors and maybe even his master. Then it comes verse 9. And this is kind of supposed to be the application of this parable uh, after verse 8 as well. For, so this would be verse 8, part B, and verse 9. And it kind of it goes uh, as this. So it's for the people of this world... Uh, uh, for the people of this world were more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Like, what does that mean? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And I think what uh, he's, he's sort of getting at is saying, he's talking about these people and that people. And he's essentially saying people in the, of the world give more thought to their physical well-being than the righteous do to their spiritual well-being. And then he gives us a specific example in verse 9. The wealth of this world should be used generously to gain friends. Isn't that interesting? He's just kind of saying, like, this wealth, it's, it's going away anyways. You might as well use it to make good friends, to be generous to other people, to um, live a, like, in, in a, a very generous and kind and benevolent way. And it will show that you are worthy of kind of these eternal blessings, that you're worthy of the way that I want you to view money, that when there's true wealth involved, which is coming in the new heavens in the new earth. Have you ever met somebody that just, I, I think we always think of people that, that are super generous at times as being kind of frivolous with their money. But there's certain people that are just, they're wise with their money, but they're just extremely generous people. Or they're willing to give up almost anything for your benefit or for your care. Those are the sort of people I think Jesus is talking about. People that are willing to sacrifice for them, of themselves to help other people. Or those people that even though they have very much are, are just so generous with what they have. I think Jesus is encouraging that. So then we get even more clear application as we move forward. In the verses that follow, verses 10 through 13, uh, Jesus goes on to say, those who can be trusted with little uh, also uh, can be trusted with much. Just as those who are dishonest with a little will be dishonest with much. Who can entrust people with significant things of real value if they cannot handle worldly wealth? I think that this gets at uh, something that I've, I've tried to say over and over to people over time when they talk about giving. And I think... It's this, is that there is this sense of what Jesus is saying is a lot of people will say, if I had more money, I would be generous. Have you ever heard people say that? If I had uh, $50 a week, I would be more generous. I only have five. If I had, oh, I, I have $50 a week, but if I had $500 a week, then I could really be generous. Well, 500, and my bills are tight with 500, right? So if I had $5,000 a week, I'm sure I would be generous at that point. Well, if I made 50, you know, like if I really had, like, you know, you hear about these people, like Jeff Bezos, Neil Musk, if I had billions of dollars, I'm sure I'd be way more generous than those people are with their money. I think Jesus is calling you all on that. That's not true. What you do with a little is your heart's position, and it will show you exactly what you would do when you have a lot. And if you're generous when you have little things, you would be generous when you have a lot. That's the principle that Jesus is trying to get across. I'll tell you a story about me that uh, just shows you how 
captivated by even a small, like it's not a small amount of money, but by money that I, that I am. I, one day I was, I was training for a, a race. I was training for a marathon. This was like six, seven years ago. And I got up early. It was like 5.30 in the morning. The sun was just starting to rise. And I started running down my street. I live up on Gunnison Avenue. And it's right outside of um, uh, the hospital there. There's a mental health hospital right at the end of the, of the street there, right by the Salvation Army. And as I'm running by, there was a wad of $100 bills. And I was like, like you know, you, you have to like do like a second look. And you pick it up. And I quickly shoved it in my pocket. <laughs> and I thought, whose money is this? Who cares? Like, I just found it, right? Like, and, then, and then I remember, like, kind of looking around and, like, a real quick gaze, right? Like, maybe someone dropped this just walking down the street. If that's the case, maybe I'll give it back to him, right? Uh, but I had a whole theory in my mind that this was, like, drug money. This was, like, they, I'm just taking away somebody's drug money and that this is going to be a good thing for me. I'm going to use it for a good thing, right? So I get home. I didn't know how much it was. And I opened it up. It was $1,500 I just found on the side of the street which is no joke. I mean, even like if you have, like, that's a great day, right? To find $1,500 on the side of the street. And uh, Sarah said something to me right when I got it. She goes, well, don't you think you should like alert somebody? Like the alderman? I was like, no, like we just got $1,500 like that, you know? And this whole thing was, but it's so quickly. I mean, it's, it's in, in life terms, like that money is, is not going to last you more than a, a month, right? Like, or, or two. And yet you can just think, well, this is mine, right? Like, I'm going to keep this. And it showed me sort of my heart, I think, behind money at that time. I'm getting $1,500. I think that Jesus is making some de- decisive points here. And he's, he's essentially saying uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees and everybody else, like these would have been good jobs. You guys are obsessed with these monetary things. And you're not even trustworthy with these small earthly possessions. How could you handle heavenly possessions? And I think what Jesus is trying to get at with money over and over again is a simple principle that comes up over and over again in Luke, but I don't want us to miss it. It's like, who are you? Who is your allegiance to? And I think it's very, very easy. Some of you are saying, I don't have any money. It's not a big deal. This is not a problem for me. Great. I'm so proud. I'm happy for you. It is for me, though. Like, do I care more about money or do I care more about God? Do I care more about having the freedom and the power and the safety that it brings? Or do I more care about the allegiance that I have to Jesus? We can't serve both God and money. And these uh, principles and this kind of idea, like the, the longing for success and longing for money even infuses into the life of the church, doesn't it? I remember um, the church that I was a part of before coming here. It was great. It was a wonderful community, wonderful church. But the elders of that church typically, not always, but typically, were the most successful and wealthiest people in the community. They had run businesses. They had been promoted. They had PhDs and they had master's degrees and they were smart and sophisticated and, 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 and wealthy and powerful. And I always wondered, could Jesus have sat on the board and been an elder? <laughs> Jesus wasn't married. He didn't have any children. 
He was like 30 years old, right? You had to be at least 50 to serve as an elder at that time. He had no money. The whole movement that he was trying to lead was dwindling quickly, right? He had hundreds of people, and now there's just a few left. He died an insignificant death without any money in his pocket and any money in a bank. And he died at the hand of the powers that were there in his day as an insurrectionist, as a failed Messiah. And I just think that Jesus is just so unsuccessful, <laughs> at least at, at this point in his life, right? In his public ministry time. He has so little to hang his hat on. He was perceived as a glutton and a drunk. <laughs> so no, I don't think he could have sat on the board. And so I think that the question we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus would have a hard time making our elder team, what do we value in the church in the same way as what do we value everybody else in the world does? And I would say that for the most time, even churches and even us, if we're honest with ourselves, value the opinion of people that have wealth and power and influence. And that's a sign that's a sign in our hearts and our lives that maybe our allegiance isn't to God, it's to things of this world. But Jesus is so different. Jesus uh, left the riches of heaven to become poor on earth. It says that he has Nowhere to lay his head. And his willingness to enter into poverty is the very means by which we can experience the heavenly blessings and the heavenly wealth that's coming our way, the new heavens and new earth. And so I just want to invite us as a community to consider how Jesus might be asking us to confirm our allegiance to him even in the hardest areas of life. Maybe it's not money for you. I know that it can be for me. And to believe when Jesus says you can't serve both. So will we be people that if we have very little, that are generous people, that we're generous with the small things so that we know that God can trust us with the weightier things. And if we already have a lot, we have wealth beyond what most people in the world have, will we be generous people? Will we be people that are willing to give and believe that it's better to give than to receive? That the very heart of God is a person who is generous and kind and willing to help those in need. Amen? Well, what if we were a community like that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this church and